Who are you? I mean, there's so many possible ways to answer that question, aren't there? So many different ways that we find our sense of identity uh, in our family, in our relationships, in our work, in our hobbies, and where we're from or where we live now. But what would be the first thing you would likely say if I asked, who are you? I am what? Well, on this Discover the Word podcast, Bill Crowder is going to lead the group in some conversations about what it means for followers of Jesus to find their identity in Christ. What I'd like for us to think about is not an easy subject. I'll just put that out there right away. It's how do we think about finding our identity in Christ? Mm -hmm. The idea of identity in Christ feels abstract. Mm -hmm. Right. And in some ways, it kind of feels mystical as opposed to practical. And yet it's an idea that's deeply embedded in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters. And it's an idea that I think because it is so prevalent in the scriptures, it's something that clearly our Lord wants us to know about and understand. Mm -hmm. So we want to kind of wrestle with why our identity in Christ is so important. And so I hope you will explore this subject and a verse in the New Testament that more than any other speaks into what it means for us to find our identity in Christ. And welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries. As I mentioned on this episode of the podcast, Bill Crowder is leading the conversations with Marty Hahn and Elisa Morgan and Daniel Ryan Day in which they'll approach this subject of identity and where we find our identity as followers of Christ. As I think you'll discover, it's going to be an encouraging and at the same time challenging hour or so of conversations. Because this really can be an area of struggle for a lot of reasons. Uh, Who am I is a question we can wrestle with at times. And so it's good to have you here. Let's get started and find out in this first conversation what that one statement in the New Testament is that speaks into what it means to find our identity in Christ. What are some places in life where people try to find a sense of identity? I went to a college that uh, has done pretty well in football and even recently in basketball. And so sometimes I deck myself out in my App State garb and let everybody know that that was my school. <laughs> that's By the way, uh, listeners, that's not Appetizer State. That's Appalachian State. That's right. It's what? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Appalachian State. <laughs> Since I went to the University of Texas in Austin, you know, I can do that Longhorn thing and wear my burn orange. I get that. <laughs> this is probably not what you're talking about, but I feel like I've been dragged into an identity thing recently. Whenever I, I go to the uh, pharmacy and drive up to the window, mm. it's like my identity is my birth date. You know, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, that's yeah. all important. That's where you start. Yeah. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. so good. But, I mean, there are a lot of things that people use for identity. Not all of them are positive. I mean, mm-hmm. there are a lot of young people, especially in large cities, who because they come from fractured homes and difficult situations at home, they get their identity by being in a gang. Hmm. And those gangs become kind of their family identification because they don't feel that at home. That's part of this identity thing, too. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I think we can also derive identity from our family, no matter if it's healthy or unhealthy. But, you know, oh, you're so-and-so's daughter, you're so-and-so's son, you're so-and-so's sister or brother, mm-hmm. you know, you're so-and-so's mom or dad. Yeah, you know, so those family ties can mm-hmm. really define our identity. Yeah, sure. Yep, and then sometimes there's like the things that we do that we think give us importance or give us meaning or give us identity in life as well. Mm -hmm. So achieving certain things Mm -hmm. or accomplishing certain goals. Mm -hmm. Sure. You know, that being identified by what we do, that's a huge thing, isn't it? And so Mm -hmm. often people say, well, what do you do? Meaning your job. Yeah. Yeah. Profession. (laughs) And a lot of people, that's kind of a raw wound because, you know, their position doesn't necessarily, you know, lift them up the ladder. Right, mm-hmm. or maybe they're caregiving full-time, or they're stay-at-home momming full-time, or they're teaching right. their kids full-time. And sometimes, you know, whatever it is may segregate us in a certain spot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the things that contribute to the struggle for identity really do leave us those kinds of emotional scars. So we live in a very mobile, transient culture, and so we're disconnected from place 
And so we don't really feel like we're from anywhere. Uh, sometimes because we've been through broken relationships, whether it's a broken marriage or a broken relationship with a parent or a child, we feel disconnected and mm-hmm. we're struggling to find our identity. Some of us are old enough, Daniel, to uh, <laughs> remember back in the 70s where one of the catchphrases in the 70s was, I'm just trying to find myself. Sure. Mm-hmm. What I'd like for us to think about in this series of conversations is not an easy subject. I'll just put that out there right away. It's how do we think about finding our identity in Christ? Hmm. Now, react just to the phrase identity in Christ, and how does that hit you? Well, it's a phrase we throw around a lot, actually, now that you point that out. And I think there's a tendency to think we have an identity in Christ, which means we don't have an identity Otherwise, you know, I think what we can do is throw out who we are in order to have an identity in Christ. And I don't think that's what Scripture is really advocating. Am I right here, Bill? I think you'll find out as we go through our conversations <laughs> that it's exactly the opposite of what the Scriptures tell us. Uh, I think what the Scriptures tell us is we never really understand who God created us to be until we understand who we are in Him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The idea of identity in Christ feels abstract. Mm -hmm. Right. And in some ways, it kind of feels mystical as opposed to practical. And yet it's an idea that's deeply embedded in the New Testament, especially in Paul's letters. And it's an idea that I think because it is so prevalent in the scriptures, it's something that clearly our Lord wants us to know about and understand. Mm -hmm. So we want to kind of wrestle with this this week and to just kick us off. I've given each of you a scripture text that gives a facet of this. So, Mark, would you start off by reading 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen? Yeah, it says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So we've been baptized into one body, and later on he would tell us that is the body of Christ. So, Elisa, how about Romans 6, verse 3? Okay. Or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Okay, now that doesn't sound at all mystical, does it? (laughs) Baptized into his death, baptized (laughs) into Christ Jesus, what's that all about? And then, Daniel, you've got 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Okay, now that's where we're moving really closer into this identity thing, because if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. Everything's changing. Other things are going away, and new things are coming, and and there's this new quality of life that's rooted in the fact that we are now, as followers of Jesus, we are now somehow in Christ, okay? So how do we wrestle with an idea like this? You guys know from our previous conversations and and our friends who listen regularly will know that one of my favorite writers is a scholar named Richard Hayes. And he's written so much about the Gospels and how they interact with the Old Testament and just brilliant stuff that's helped me so much. He made a comment that perhaps there's no other verse in the New Testament that so carefully lays out for us what it means to be in Christ as Galatians 2, verse 20. And Elisa, if you would, could you read it for us? I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, that's a very familiar verse. And we studied it together as a group a couple of years ago when we went through the book of Galatians together. We titled that series, It's All About Grace, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because there were people who were coming into the churches that Paul and his co-workers had planted in the Galatia region, and they were trying to reimpose Mosaic law on these followers of Jesus who had come to Christ out of Gentile backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And Paul's writing to say, no, we're not under law. Don't go back to law. Don't get trapped in law. It's all about grace. And the first couple of chapters, it's almost like he's moving to this verse as the capstone of why it's all about grace and what it means to live in the grace-filled life that we have in Christ. So that's kind of where this is in this moment. And when you look at the verse, and I'm just going to get technical for a minute because 
I think it's so interesting. Paul, as we know, was this brilliant Jewish scholar, right? Mm-hmm. He's writing to a Gentile audience, but his Jewish tendencies kick in sometimes. And so sometimes he uses Jewish writing techniques when he's writing to Gentiles because that's the way he's been trained to think. It's fascinating. And this verse actually forms a chiasm, which is where you start with an idea and it parallels the last idea, and then you have middle ideas that parallel each other. So the beginning and ending parts of this chiasm are all about death. Hmm. I've been crucified with Christ. I share in Christ's crucifixion. It's all about death. He loved me and gave himself for me. Okay, so the, the beginning and the ending are all about death, but the internal part, And that's always the main idea of one of these chiastic structures is all about life. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Okay, you're using your hands up and down. So I'm starting to see an Oreo cookie with two, a top and a bottom. (laughs) And in between is the cream. That's all about life. Yeah. uh, So you have crucified, crucified. You have life, life. And these ideas work together to bring us to this Richard Hayes statement that this is how we begin to understand who we are in Christ, because just as we were crucified with him, we have been raised to life with him, and now we live that kind of life because we are in him. Now, that's a whole lot of information to start off with, but maybe the big deal here is the phrase, no longer I. (laughs) because that has important implications in it. Any ideas about what some of those might be? Well, I go back to my concern that I voiced a few minutes ago that we typically think that when we're looking at our identity in Christ that we somehow cease to exist and only Jesus exists. Mm -hmm. But I think what you're saying, and I know we're going to net this out in other conversations, I think what you're saying is that we bring the I into the relationship and what God always had in mind for the me is now free to actually happen Mm. as we live in relationship Mm. with him. Whereas before I messed stuff up and I couldn't be my full potential of who he designed me to be. Is that close? That's good, Elisa. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm reminded too of, you know, what we bring before we come to know who Jesus is and, and he begins like that work of bringing new life into us. And a lot of us are familiar with our own brokenness and baggage and mistakes that we've Mm -hmm. made and all of that. Mm -hmm. And what I think the freedom here is going to be that we find that God, through Christ, takes that broken sacrifice that we offer and brings life to it Mm. and can even redeem some of those mistakes that we've had. So I don't know if that's where you're going, Bill, but that's what comes to mind for me. I think it's all part of it. To go back to where we were at the very beginning, that's why our identity in Christ is so important, because it's only in Christ that we really discover who God created us to be. And Mm -hmm. I have this wonderful quote from C.S. Lewis that I just, I mean, I love C.S. Lewis anyway, but I think this is just maybe a great way to wrap this opening conversation. C.S. Lewis wrote, the more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become because he made us, he invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It is when I turn to Christ, when I give up myself to his personality, that I first begin to have a real personality of my own. In church circles, baptism is a word that we use a good bit, or at least from time to time. What do we know about baptism? Comes in different forms, huh? Mm -hmm. It's -hmm. also something that people can get really frustrated with each other over, depending on which denominational circles or backgrounds you come from. And so Mm -hmm. it can be a source of tension as well. And increasingly, um, I think as we age and move through our church experiences, we may actually find ourselves baptized more than one time in order to cooperate with certain denominations requirements. And we're talking about either sprinkled or poured on or immersed, right? Mm -hmm. And then also as a child or as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm in all of those. I've been baptized four times. (laughs) (laughs) I've been baptized three times. Really? Yeah. 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 I was sprinkled as an infant in the Presbyterian church. And then I went through catechism at age 12. 
and then went through confirmation. Then I got sprinkled again. And then later on, because I was dating a girl and she was going to a certain church, I decided I wanted to join that church, so I got dunked. Uh, <laughs> dunked. We didn't talk about was, being dunked. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then after that, I actually came to Christ, so I got redunked. Uh, uh, yeah. I got yeah. baptized the fourth time. I'm not currently planning a fifth, <laughs> but if I do, it'll probably be pouring because that's the only one I haven't had. I didn't realize this was a competition or I would have tried to get baptized a couple more times. <laughs> there you before go. We started. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, I tell people I've done everything but been dry cleaned so far. So, <laughs> um, one of the things that matters so much about baptism is that it's one of the two primary ordinances of the church, baptism and the Lord's Supper. And together, they present the elements of the gospel. Yeah. The Lord's table presents the Lord's death, who we remember until he comes through his broken body and his shed blood. And then baptism pictures resurrected life. Mm-hmm. So there were times when I was a pastor that sometimes we would put the Lord's table and baptism together in one service as a visual presentation of the good news about Jesus because baptism and the Lord's Supper combined together to present that. Yeah, and you know, we kind of started by joking around a little bit about it, and that's not because the four of us don't take baptism very seriously, actually, as well, right? That's Mm. where some of that tension comes from because it is such a beautiful and important sacrament if you're in a liturgical church or ordinance if you're in a different background. And it's something that is beautiful and important and valuable for the church to continue to do. And it's really a way of confession, isn't it? Yeah. It's a personal confession to the church that one has identified himself as a believer or herself mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. as a person who trusts in Christ. I think that's such a good point, Martin. That's what we're talking about in these conversations is that it points to our identity. Mm-hmm. We confess that we are identifying ourselves as belonging to Jesus's mm-hmm. death and resurrection, to what he's done. And we're doing it in somewhat of a public manner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When Jesus was baptized, <laughs> we get baptized to symbolize new life with him. But why did he get baptized? You know, what I think is the best explanation I've ever heard, and it seems to make sense, he did it to identify with us. Mm. You know, whereas we get baptized to identify with him. That's good, Mart. I think that's exactly it, Mart. And that is why the conversation on baptism is important, and even on the Lord's table is important, because when we participate in the Lord's table or communion or the Eucharist or whatever your tradition might call it, we are identifying with his death Mm-hmm. And when we are baptized, we're identifying with his resurrected life. And he modeled that by identifying with us on the cross in his death. And we identify with that when we take the Lord's table. And that brings us back into this series of conversations that we've started on Galatians 2 verse 20 on identity in Christ and what it means to have our identity actually in him. And Daniel, would you uh, read Galatians two twenty for us? Yeah. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Okay, so today we just want to focus on that phrase, I have been crucified with Christ. Sometimes in baptismal formulas, they'll say, buried with him in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in the likeness of his resurrection. This seems to take it even further. (laughs) When he says, I have been crucified with Christ, what does that say to you? I go straight to, well, where Paul talks about in Romans 6 and 7, the inability not to sin. You know, we are going to sin. We're going to give way to our old nature. We're going to, to live out our brokenness. Jesus identifies with us in such a way, and then he goes to the cross to provide a way out, to give us help Mm -hmm. so that we can move from not being able to help ourselves living in brokenness to having another option because Mm -hmm. of what Jesus did on the cross. So that's where I go to it. I know it also infers not having to live perfectly under the law Mm -hmm. because it's impossible and Jesus has made another way. But that first thing I'm talking about is what gets me up in the morning to have hope that I can make different choices today, choices Mm -hmm. to look more like Jesus intended me to look. Yeah, and Alicia, you know where I go with that, that as we make those choices to be identified with him, 
the only way I can imagine me being crucified with him is if by his choice, he was doing that for us mm-hmm. with the idea of, of pulling us in. You know, once or twice in my life, I've been taken by the member of a country club into their dining room. And the only way I could get in is on their name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In this case, it seems like Jesus, by his decision, has invited us in to be a mm-hmm. part of his resurrection, good, to be a part yeah. of his crucifixion. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about, Mart, is exactly what Paul tells the Corinthians in Second Corinthians 5. It says, He, the Father, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf. That's him identifying with us. So that we might become the righteousness or so we might have right standing with God in him. Mm-hmm. So he identified with our wrongdoing on the cross so that we could receive his right relationship with his father as a result. You know, I wonder though, Bill, as I'm thinking about this verse and I have been crucified with Christ, like the skeptic who heard Paul when this letter was read out loud, who heard Paul say that and goes, no, you weren't, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. you haven't been crucified because they would have mm-hmm. a very particular context for that. So I think I get some of the symbolism we're talking about, but at the same time, like I also hear the skeptic in me going, actually, you weren't crucified. Mm. So how do we kind of make sense of that in this context? Well, in our first conversation, we kind of acknowledge that there's a mysterious, mystical quality to this idea of identity in Christ. And so Mm -hmm. we need to understand that there's symbolic language that's being used here. Uh, There's metaphorical language that's being used here, and it's being used in a particular historical context. So like you say, people in Galatia, when they hear the word crucified, they have a very specific context for that because they see it from time to time, right? Yeah. So when they see somebody being crucified, the last thing you want to do is identify with that person. Mm -hmm. But Paul is saying just the opposite. Whereas we see crucifixion as a negative because it ends in death, by identifying with Christ and his resurrection, it becomes a positive because it results in both death and life. Yeah. It's complicated. We have to end up with the thought, though, that really there was some way because of God's decision to come to our rescue, there was in their mind not simply a symbolic thought going on, but it was just like as we are all descendants of Adam, there's a sense in which Mm -hmm. those who trust in Christ can see ourselves as children of Christ spiritually. Yeah. I'm glad you said it that way, Mark, because maybe rather than symbolic language, maybe the better term would be spiritual language. Okay. Because he's talking about a spiritual reality, but he's using the metaphor of a physical fact, the fact of the crucifixion of Jesus. He's using that physical fact as a metaphor for a spiritual reality that those who come to Christ share in his crucifixion because he did it on our behalf. Hmm. He died so that we don't have to die in that sense. Now, Daniel, your skeptic at that point probably says, yeah, but we are going to die. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but the reality is death is not the end of our story yeah. because of his crucifixion. And I don't want to muddy it up, but I think it's an important distinction you're saying to talk about this is spiritual language, you know, and that goes back to how I'm hearing this. And this is the application that I'm seeing in it is that I have the ability to be spiritually dead to sin now, whereas I didn't Mm -hmm. before, you know, and I have other options because I'm spiritually alive in Christ. I've been crucified Mm -hmm. and I've been raised. Mm -hmm. And so I can make different choices because of Jesus' rescue for me. So it is a spiritual concept, but it's when we live out day after day after day as we lean into it. And if it were not for this spiritual concept, we wouldn't be able to live it out. Mm -hmm. Right. This is what fuels our living. And when you see this verse at the end of the first two chapters, there's a sense in what Paul's saying to them. Not only are we crucified with Christ and now we live, but we are now dead to the law because we are alive to grace. Mm -hmm. And grace is what has saved us and grace is what Mm -hmm. enables us to live Every day. Yeah, and Jesus kind of built up on that theme, right, of dying to yourself daily, mm-hmm. where he said that if anyone wants to come after me and truly follow me, he must mm-hmm. deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So there's that spiritual language, which, Elisa, you said is that practical language, which, Bill, you're reminding us is like <laughs> letting go of some of the past ways of doing things and letting that die so that we can find true life in Christ. All of that is tied up in this language of being crucified with Christ. 
This is the Discover the Word podcast with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And they're focusing on Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 as they talk about finding our identity in Christ. Now, in the next part of that sentence, Paul writes, It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And they'll wrestle with what that part of the verse means right after this short break. Here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries, we have a lot of resources that will enrich and enhance your study of the Scriptures. And as we explore this subject of finding our identity in Christ, one that we hope you'll take advantage of is a Discovery Series booklet called We Are His, Belonging to the Family of God. Now, as I'm sure you know, human families are imperfect by nature. And throughout the years, we've all likely experienced the good, the bad, and the ugly that comes with them. But family is a big part of our identity. And so what is it about the image of God's family that is the same and that is different? We'll look for a link to the Discovery Series resource, We Are His, Belonging to the Family of God, when you go online to discoveryseries.org. The Discovery Series is a collection of over 150 Bible study booklets that we've put together here at Our Daily Bread Ministries. And so we'd encourage you to find some that speak into things that you would find helpful. But be sure to access We Are His, Belonging to the Family of God, when you go online to discoveryseries.org. And now, back to this discussion of identity and finding our identity in Christ on the Discover the Word podcast. Have you ever heard somebody say something like, I just don't think I could live without <laughs> blank? <laughs> oh, man, I have heard that. I've also said it, and it's usually really non-valuable things that I say in the blank. Like, okay, I Daniel, we've with... inquiring minds want to know. Yeah, like, yeah, like what? what, Daniel? Yeah, I've probably said something like, I can't live without Trader Joe's dark chocolate peanut butter cups or something like that, right? Like something. <laughs> no, that's okay. I think that's a valid thing. Not yeah, <laughs> I feel it is. So, <laughs> you know, without getting too heavy too quick, we could joke about this for a long time. But there's a, another thing I think we've all seen, maybe even in ourselves. It's when somebody else or we start literally thinking that our life is wrapped up in a job. Mm -hmm. or a relationship mm -hmm. and it's like we think we're going to die if we don't have that yeah addictions are all about that right sure mm -hmm. sure addictions are all about that and and even good ones you know i can say to myself i don't think i can live without my grandkids you know i can't move away from them far far away from them I, what would i do with myself you know and that's a good thing but is that the whole directive of my life mm -hmm. yeah wow yeah sometimes this kind of a statement can be something you know, I've told you before, Marlene makes me watch all these crazy home improvement shows on HGTV. And, you know, they're doing the house tour. And one of the husband or the wife one says, well, I just don't think I could live without granite countertops. You know, and I'm kind of like, <laughs> yes, exactly. how have I survived this long? I've never yeah. had a granite countertop. And we know, you know, you don't have to push that too hard. You don't have to make a right. walk on all fours. But we do see times where, you know, somebody becomes so integrated into the life of a spouse that you can't imagine them not being together, right? Right, right. And we're not saying that I would die tomorrow if I didn't have granite countertops. What we're saying is that's something that gives value. Mm -hmm. That's something that gives meaning. And I think if you look at it that way, it feels a little bit different. This relationship could I live without it? Probably. Do I want to? Absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Because it gives so much meaning and value to life. And this is a, a view of life that I want us to continue to think about as we think about this idea of identity in Christ that we've been talking about in our conversations this week. And we've been looking at it through Galatians 2, verse 20. Yeah, Bill, so before we continue talking about Galatians 2.20, could we pause for a second and just say, like, is that a phrase that we've added the word identity to the language of in Christ, or does it show up in the Bible in that way, or, or like, where does that actual phrase identity in Christ come from? 
Well, I think it comes from spiritual formation okay. uh, theory and discipleship theory and all that kind of stuff, helping us to understand biblical content about being in Christ and how that shapes who we are as people. And so we've given it that term. It's one of the terms that we hear a lot in Christian circles that doesn't appear in the Bible. But the idea, as we've been trying to, to camp on the idea of identity in Christ, we've seen it, if anyone's in Christ, new creation. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a new identity. And we've been particularly looking at it through Galatians 2.20. So does that help any, Daniel? Yeah, yeah. So that language, in Christ, the identity piece is how we're trying to help ourselves almost even make sense of what it means to be in Christ, is somehow this impacts the way that we see ourselves, the way we see the world, the way we see our purpose and meaning, and all that being Mm -hmm. tied up in that term identity. So it's just kind of language we're using to help ourselves understand what in Christ means. And we're trying to figure it out ourselves, but it's interesting when you read Paul, like we're reading Galatians here, it's like he talks about being in Christ over and over again. It just, it's all through his writings. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this phrase that you've directed us to, Bill, is Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. And here, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And that's a very descriptive way of talking about what we're calling Mm -hmm. identity in Christ. It's like, I stop living Jesus starts living, but in me. Mm-hmm. And so there is this dual kind of dance of, I'm still here, yeah. but I'm in Jesus and he's in me. And so I'm a better me, or is that what that means? Yeah, and I think uh, we're already knee-deep in what I want us to get into in this conversation, because in our last conversation, we talked about what it means to be crucified with Christ and how the Galatians would have heard that as people yeah. who Shopping. witnessed mm-hmm. physical crucifixions and how we see it as identifying with the one who identified with us, okay? We see that same interplay in the phrase you just read, Elisa. So read that phrase again, and you can start with, I've been crucified with Christ, but go all the way to where you did before. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Okay, so we identify with him and he identified with us. Now we live in him and he lives in us. You know, it's interesting as we're talking through this because I memorized this verse a long time ago and I have quoted it so many times and I am really struggling to get my mind around some of these phrases. So we talked in our last conversation about crucified with Christ that had its own level of complication, but now it says it's no longer I who live and I'm like, but wait a second, like I what am What happened living. to me? Yeah. yeah right. Like, <laughs> you know what, Daniel? You're not alone. I, I got a couple of years on you. <laughs> but every time I read that and it says, it's no longer I who live, you say, wait a minute. We have to believe that Paul knew what he was talking about. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But what is he saying in a way yeah. that we can really understand it? Yeah. I mean, obviously, Paul didn't stop being Paul. Mm-hmm. He didn't stop being a Jew. He didn't stop being a trained rabbi. He didn't stop being a follower of Christ and a missionary to the Gentiles. He didn't stop being any of those things. But it had a qualitative difference because now those things were being lived out through this mutual expression of living with Christ. And let me throw this out, and maybe it'll help, maybe it won't. A lot of times when we think about life in terms of what Christ accomplished on the cross, what do we think about? Hmm. I mean, think of John 3.16. What's that tell us? God's great love for us expressed in his rescue of us on the cross. To what result? So that we'd have eternal life. Eternal life. A lot Mm -hmm. of times when we think about life, because of what Christ did on the cross, we transfer that into the eternal realm as, okay, Mm -hmm. one day in the sweet by and by, I get to live forever because Jesus died for me. And that is true. We forget about the now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But what he's saying is now, in the present tense, the fact that I am identified in Christ impacts the way I live because I live a shared life with him. You know, Bill, Paul elsewhere, I think it's in Colossians chapter 3, I think, where he says, for you have died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Mm -hmm. And I remember, Daniel, like you were saying, you memorized Galatians 2.20. I remember memorizing this, I think it's Colossians 3.20. Three, And I remember thinking about that my life is still there, 
it's still here. It's still me. But I picture myself as being wrapped up in Jesus yeah. so that there is a covering over me or, or something in addition to me. That's how I began to yeah. see it. Yeah, and he's done it, right? At least it has to be him who has wrapped himself around us and enabled us to consider ourselves as part of him. Yeah, and that even goes back, Martin and Elisa and Daniel, to Jesus' own words in John 10, where he's talking about himself being the good shepherd. And he says, we are in his hand, and no one is able to pluck us out of his hand. And that's in the Father's hand. Yeah. <laughs> so there are these double layers almost of security because we are in Christ who is in the Father, which puts us in the Father too. I think, Bill, you said a really key word a second ago because you said we're not alone, mm-hmm. right? Like we're with him. And so I almost wonder if that helps us kind of understand what is going on here. It's no longer I who live alone, yeah. right? It's no longer me by myself. And oftentimes when we read stuff like this, like I'm even hearing my... We've been slowly trained by some of the people that have come in to think about, okay, as a Westerner, how am I reading the Bible? And I tend to read it very individualistic. So I see it's no longer I who live, and I'm thinking just about me, what's going on with me. But it was a very we culture. And so it's no longer I who live would be open to the idea of like Christ being with you Mm -hmm. and saying I and yet meaning we. I almost wonder if that's a little bit here too, where it's like, no, 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 it's no longer I who live alone. Mm -hmm. Christ and I are doing this together now. Hmm. Yeah, I think that's really good, Daniel. I think it's the Celtic prayer of Christ above me, Christ below me, Christ around me, Christ within me, and all of those. Mm -hmm. So completely engaged and so completely interacted in our lives as he that our life, in a sense, is still viable and valid And yet it is so completely intertwined with his life that his viable and valid life shares with us in it. And and I think if we just look at the phrase, I no longer live by myself on my own, that means I no longer have to live in my own strength. I no longer have to live in my own wisdom. I no longer have to live in my own righteousness or standing. And then you start filling in all of those inadequacies that we have with his sufficiency. And his presence and his power. Mm -hmm. It's mind-boggling to think about that. I no longer have to do it all by myself. I no longer Mm -hmm. have to try and be enough. I no longer have Mm -hmm. to, you know, make excuses. Jesus is in me. And he has done it. And I can lean into his power in a given situation. In fact, my life is hidden there, so I may as well depend upon what he's died to provide for me. Right. And by his spirit, his ways can become our ways because he, as you indicated, he enables that. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things I really struggle with is self-will. If I want this, it must be okay because I wouldn't want something bad. And yet, what if this particular thing isn't bad? It's just not what God's best is. And it's only by yielding my will to his will that I discover the very best that he has for me in Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, is recognizing that he knows better. Mm -hmm. And I can trust him that not only does he know me better, but he also loves me better. And I can be at rest in that. Have you ever heard somebody say, okay, I've got good news and bad news. Which do you want first? (laughs) Sure, sure. Okay, when somebody says that, which do you want first, the bad news or the good news? I usually want the bad first. I mean, when I'm honest, I want to get that out of the way, and I'm all impatient. I can't appreciate the good until I know what other shoe's going to drop, you know? You know, and that really makes sense, too, because you don't want to end on a bad note. You want to believe, (laughs) okay, there's something good here. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to come up with two sets of good news and put the bad news in between. But the truth is, is whenever somebody says that, I probably won't even hear the good news because I'll be Mm. too focused on the bad news. Yeah. You know, for me as well, I want to hear the bad news because at least I know there's some good news to follow. So it gives me something (laughs) to look forward to in the middle of the pain, whatever it might be. As we launch this fourth conversation on identity in Christ, I would like to do a little bit different spin on that and say, I've got good news 
And I've got more good news. So which do you want first? The good news or the more good news? Pretty sure the more good news won't make sense until we hear the good news. Uh, there you go. Now you're okay. talking. Okay. But you know, the bad news is right all over the place. The crucifixion, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So the bad news makes the good news possible. Yeah. yeah. But also the bad news of the crucifixion was also good news. I mean, it's gospel, which means good mm-hmm. news, right? So mm-hmm. uh, even that worst event in human history our good God turns into good news for us. And I think that's what makes knowing this God such a rich experience and such a wonderful, wonderful way to live life in this broken, messed up world of which we are broken, messed up pieces. <laughs> yeah. In light of all of this, we've been talking in these conversations about identity in Christ, which I think we've all agreed is not exactly the easiest cookies on the bottom shelf kind of idea we've ever tackled. But what have we seen so far, just for a little review for folks? Well, where we started, and maybe that helps us recognize why this is so difficult in some ways, is we started by admitting to all the things we try to find identity in. That's enough of a struggle for us that then trying to think about what it means to find identity in Christ feels like a whole nother layer to that conversation. Hmm. But I think what we've slowly been unpacking is that there is something about what happened at the crucifixion and about the invitation to new life that happened as a result of the crucifixion and the resurrection that allows us to live life differently than we did before. And that's tied up in this idea of identity in Christ. I think what's beautiful about this whole thing is it's not just our wanting to be something other than ourselves. It's really about Christ wanting us to find ourselves in him Mm. and giving us reason to believe there's something really wonderful here. And that's hard to do. Um, I think we often stereotypically believe that we have to like lose ourselves in order to find Mm -hmm. ourselves in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I think that's not what we've been talking about this week. I think there is a, a way in which we're crucified with Christ the bad stuff in us has a chance to change because of Jesus's power in our lives. But as you're saying, Mark, you know, we find ourselves in him and it's the real deal of us. It's the nut of us. It's the us he created and loved mm-hmm. and designed to be and where he counted every hair on our head and knit us together in our mother's womb and, you know, ordains our steps, etc. That us, that me and you, that body of who we are as believers truly finds fulfillment of its expression when we are in relationship with Jesus. It's like we can mm-hmm. tap into the power of Jesus beyond us. You know, he mm-hmm. transforms us. Yeah. But at least isn't it also true though, to get there, it's almost like we have to lose something about ourselves that was not true. I mean, if we're a control freak, there's uh-huh. a sense in which we have to lose that part of ourselves, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a tough thing to exactly express. You know, it's not like we lose the fact that we're broken because we're going to be broken. Right. But we don't have to stay broken, you Mm -hmm. know, and we don't have to stay in the defensive postures we put on to protect ourselves from feeling broken. You know, we can relinquish that Mm -hmm. and somehow embrace God's love. And that's what transforms us. That's what it means Mm -hmm. to live in him. And I think what you guys are talking about is really the essence of what it means to find our identity in Christ, because what we're talking about is, yes, there are pieces of the old me that need to be put to death. And Paul Mm -hmm. talks a lot about that in his letters. But it's not about me no longer being me. It's about discovering the me that God wants me to be in him. And so in that process of discovery, I find a whole new way of life. Hmm that I would not be capable of if Christ was not living in me yes. and with me, okay? So what do you mean when you say some things have to be put to death? What? Well, just like what you were talking about before, like if I'm a control freak or say if I'm someone who um, has real issues with greed or some of those broken tendencies that identified who we were before we came to Christ and have been forgiven, now as forgiven people, we can go forward and live differently Because like we saw yesterday, yes, it's no longer me by myself in my own energy or strength who lives. Mm -hmm. Christ is living in me. And so those things can be made new and be made different and be made whole, see? Yeah, and that language in the Bible too often where it talks about the death of something else, you could use the same phrase of like, we're being set free from Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. X, Y, or Z and finding life in. So not only is it some of the maybe negative tendencies that we have, but it's also the very deep 
in real ways that we've been broken. So it's being set free from shame, being set free from fear, right? Perfect love mm. casting out fear. Mm. And so the other things that die, quote unquote, or that we are set free from are also the things that cause us to not experience the full life that God has for us because of the brokenness that we've caused or that has been done to us. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so we're focusing on this verse, which one of my favorite Bible scholars, Richard Hayes, says is a core verse in Scripture to describe our identity in Christ. Richard Hayes says Galatians 2.20 is a critical verse for this. And um, in one conversation, we focused on the first phrase, I've been crucified with Christ. Then in our last one, it was, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So, Mart, if you would read the next phrase for us, beginning with, and the life. Okay, and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. Yeah. You know what this reminds me of? You know, Jesus made that strange comment to a ruler of the Jews. He talked about the new birth and how the Spirit of God is like the wind. You don't know where it's coming from or where it's going to go or when it's going to turn. He said, unless you have this new birth, you really can't be a part of God's life. Mm. And it just reminded me that there's really a sense in which we come to Christ. Something happens to us. Mm -hmm. It's spiritual, mm -hmm. but the Spirit of God actually comes into our life in a way that we really can't explain. But it's making possible the kinds of things we're talking about here. And it really is God's work that we can't quite define or understand, but we do allow it. We do cooperate with it. We do invite it. You know, we don't make ourselves be born, but we're yeah. still part of the birth process. Yeah. Now, Daniel, thinking about this, the life which I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. How might that have been heard by the Galatians who some were trying to drag back under the Mosaic law. Yeah, well, it would have been an emphasis on working hard to keep themselves pure, to keep themselves unpolluted by the world, to keep themselves acceptable before God and being able to come into his presence. So there was so much pressure on that community to live certain ways, follow certain rules and laws, because that was their understanding of what it meant to follow God. In some ways, this would have been not only controversial, because it's saying that instead of all that, here is the invitation to faith, but it would also been very freeing, yeah. that it's not about all the stuff that you have to keep in line perfectly to do. Instead, trust God, which is, you know, this word faith can also be translated trust in the Son of God and follow him where he leads. So the good news is that it's not about my performance. Mm -hmm. It's not about human effort in its own strength, but it's about trusting in him and what he can do in and through me and letting that mm -hmm. process take place. So that's good news, right? <laughs> now, let me give you more good news. <laughs> There's another way to translate that phrase. And if you remember back when we did some conversations based on Habakkuk 2 on the just shall live by faith, we saw that the word faith can be translated differently. How is that alternate translation? Faithfulness, which is really not so much about us as yeah. more about who God is. Yeah, so in this case, the life that I now live in the body, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. Yeah, because we can come away thinking, well, I've got to be good at faith too, see? <sighs> it never stops, you know? And what I think you're saying, Bill, is that <laughs> God is good at being faithful, and so we can trust in His faithfulness. Now, Bill, as I, I read that, now we've changed two words in the translation that you offered to us, because it said, I live yeah. by faith in the Son of God. You just said the faithfulness of the Son of God. Yeah. That feels like it says two different things. Well, and that comes down to interpretation of Scripture. Hmm. And that's why I wanted us to think about this in terms of good news and more good news, because no matter which way you land, you're in a better place than you were before. Hmm. <laughs> if you land, like most of our translations, translate it just like we've been reading it all week long. I live by faith in the Son of God. Hmm. Okay, most of them translate it that way. And that's good news because, as we've seen, it's not by works of the law but it's by trusting in him and his empowering and his enabling. But there are translations who translate it by the faithfulness of the Son of God. And I found that in at least a half a dozen different translations. Hmm. It's a point of interpretation, which I think lets us 
get one more facet of why this is such a mystery, this concept of identity with Christ is a mystery because even in the wording, there's so many different dimensions of how we can understand it. And yet every single one of those understandings ends up with us much better than we would have been if we did not have identity in Christ. Okay, so what you're saying is we don't have to say or figure out which one, either or. You're saying they're both true. Well, and the entirety of Scripture mirrors that. These are concepts that we see throughout Scripture. So we can read that, you know, that the life I live now in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, and the life I live in the flesh and the body, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. They both make great sense yeah. in terms of Scripture. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've got good news, and I've got more good news. We live by faith in a Savior who is more than worthy of our trust and who will always be faithful, even when we're unfaithful. He will always be faithful. And Bill, isn't it true, too, that this is one of those thoughts that is best understood looking backwards and mm-hmm. looking at our life and seeing something that happened in the moment we don't necessarily understand what is christ what is not but you look back and you say oh good night the lord was doing something here yeah he was working in me yeah, yeah they say that hindsight is 2020 but walking and looking ahead by faith is rarely easy But in every case, we can move forward knowing that God is always faithful. This is the Discover the Word podcast with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. And they're talking about finding our identity in Christ, based in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. Well, the encouraging conclusion to this conversation follows this word about what we'll be talking about next on the podcast. Now, I don't think anyone would argue with you if you said that the pandemic has affected all of us in a lot of ways. Bottom line, you know, the pandemic affected us financially, it affected us spiritually, it affected us, you know, mentally, it affected us in so many ways. But one of the big takeaways that especially mental health experts have pointed out is that we're seeing loneliness becoming an epidemic within an epidemic. You know, loneliness is becoming its own epidemic. And so on the next Discover the Word podcast, Elisa Morgan is going to lead some conversations with Bill Crowder, Daniel Ryan Day, and Rasul Berry about the subject of loneliness. What overall things do we see scripture addressing that help us get a handle on loneliness? And I'll even put it this way, that help us become unlonely. Hmm. You know, how does the story of scripture help us become unlonely. Yeah, be part of the Discover the Word group next time for that series called Unlonely. And now the conclusion of this episode about finding our identity in Christ. Well, I think it's safe to say that uh, this week we've been in the deep end of the pool. You could say that. I'm not sure I'm a very good swimmer, but it's been a lot of splashing. <laughs> Are we sure this pool has a bottom? <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not. I'm absolutely not sure of that. We've been discussing this fascinating biblical concept. It's not a Bible term, as Daniel reminded us in a previous conversation. The term identity in Christ is not one that we find stated that way in the scriptures. But as we're seeing, it's an idea that is just shot through the New Testament, isn't it? Yeah, Paul talks about being in Christ over and over again. Mm -hmm. And as we've talked about it this week, and as we've been focusing on Galatians 2.20, we've been thinking about what we call this new way of living, where I'm still me, but I'm more than me. And Christ is still Christ, but he's not less than Christ because we live life together. And that may sound like I just muddied it even worse, but is that a a decent capsulization of what we've kind of been wrestling with so far? Well, I think we've been admitting since the beginning that the entire idea here that we're unpacking is a very, I think the term you used at the beginning was mystical idea, right? This idea Mm -hmm. that we don't lose our identity, which we kind of talked about last time because the phrase was, Uh, the life which I now live in the flesh, so in this body as I continue to live. But it's also not just me by myself, that Christ is living with me and in me, and 
because of his faithfulness with us, we can live this new life or whatever. So it is a very mystical idea in some ways, but at the same time, I think all of us from a practical standpoint have experienced what it's like to get to the end of ourselves and to need more and to find out that because of Christ being with us, that we have what we need. Yeah. I think when we talk about the experience of discipleship, We've had to coin phrases to express what it looks like to live in relationship with Jesus. And identity in Christ is one of those Mm -hmm. phrases that we've tried to define. And it's another school of spiritual formation that is really the process of becoming a disciple of Jesus. And we use spiritual language. And so that helps me to understand that we've taken that understanding and we look at it through the lens of Scripture. We were one kind of person. I was Elisa. You were Mart. You were Bill. You were Daniel before we knew Jesus. I'm still Elisa, but I'm different because I'm in relationship Mm. with Jesus. And that's what identity in Christ, that's what that phrase means and what we've been trying to unpack. Yeah, right. And I think in the moment, that can be so meaningful because we just in the moment say, you know, I belong to Christ. His spirit is with me and in me. I don't have to do this myself. Mm -hmm. And then going forward, you look back and you say, we recognize the kinds of things that he did in us that we asked him to help us with. Yeah. And we say, it was real. It mm. happened, even though we mm-hmm. don't experience and feel it in the moment. Mm. Mm-hmm. During my years as a pastor, I performed a lot of funerals. And when you're doing a funeral service for someone who did not know Christ and the family did not know Christ, I mean, when they reach the end of themselves, they're at the end of themselves, and they don't have any place else to go, mm-hmm. you know? And it's heartbreaking. And yet when you do a funeral service with a family who has lived with Christ, who has known and loved Jesus, and that has become a hallmark of them as human beings, that they live this life that we've been talking about all week, when they reach the end of themselves, they have someplace else to go, <laughs> They have a deeper reservoir to tap into in Jesus. And I think that's what you're saying, Elisa, when you say, I'm still Elisa, but for each of us, when we come to the end of ourselves, we're not at the end of ourselves because Christ lives in us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we live in him. Yeah. I have resources that I mm-hmm. otherwise would not have. You know, He is my resource. Yeah. Well, for this conversation, we want to wrap this up. And so far, we've seen in Galatians 2, verse 20, that our identity is rooted in being identified with his crucifixion. Our identity is expressed as he lives through us. And our identity finds expression by our faith in him and his faithfulness to us. Now we come to the last phrase in Galatians 2, verse 20. So Daniel, would you read the verse for us again? I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, we started off talking about how these four phrases parallel. The first phrase, I'm crucified with Christ, is a phrase about death. The last phrase, gave himself up for me is a phrase about death. But the two phrases in between are all about life. And I think that's so beautiful because, you know, death is not the end of the story, as we've seen so many times before. Death leads to a different kind of life that's far more than we could have ever imagined. In fact, what Jesus in John 10 said, I've come to give life that's even more abundant than you could ever imagine. So in this conversation, as we think about his death again, I really want us to focus on that phrase, not that he gave himself up for me, because we really talked about the crucifixion and and him taking our sins and all of that. I want us to think about the motivator, Hmm. who loved me. Hmm. It's also unbelievable, though. I remember a sermon by Brendan Manning that's one of my all-time favorite but also most challenging sermons, and he talks about rephrasing the question that God asks When we get to heaven, the question is not, why should I let you in? But instead, God looks at us and says, did you really believe that I loved you, Mm -hmm. that I waited for you, that I longed to have a relationship with you? Did you believe that? Mm -hmm. And Brendan Manning admits in that, and I'm admitting now (laughs) that most of us, our honest answer, if we were to really admit how we feel inside is, 
no, I, I don't know, God, that I really believed how much you actually loved me. Hmm. Don't we believe it quite a bit on a good day? Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. You know, on the better days of our lives, it, you say, oh, God, I can't believe you've allowed me to live. But on a bad day. Yeah. I guess I'm kind of somewhere between you guys. And, Lisa, you can respond, too, if you want. But, but I think there's a part of me that thinks that there's no way that we could really understand how much he loves us. It's beyond our ability to comprehend because God's love is infinite. It's unchanging. Yeah. It's perfect. It's unconditional. God's love is everything my love isn't. And since my love is my point of reference for love, there's a part of me that hmm. I don't think I ever could understand just how much he loved me. And yet at the same time, there are those glimpses of God light where, like you said, Mart, on those good days where it's all of a sudden like, wow, hmm. thank you, Father. You love me so much and I don't deserve it, but you love me anyway. And I just couldn't be more grateful. And I think when you get into those bad days, I so relate to that, Mart. The reality is that in those worst moments that it really reveals how we do receive God's love. You know, it, when I slip into, you couldn't possibly love me, or you couldn't possibly allow this if you're a loving God, or you couldn't possibly help me. And then I slip over to the other side and go, oh, but because you love me, I can view this yeah. differently. Because you, you know, that's the hinge point of it, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Of what it means. I love this conversation. I agree. I don't think that we ever can fully absorb God's love. But when we get into that very spot where we doubt, if we simply turn and say, I'm going to let you love me here, God, hmm. we're doing it. Hmm. Yeah, I've heard it said that so much of the time we evaluate or measure God's love for us based on the circumstances of our lives in that mm -hmm. moment. Like you were saying, Mark, when we're having a really good day or when things are going well or when... I'm healthy and everybody I love is healthy or when, you know, some good things happen that just impact lives and you're just so excited about that. We tend to evaluate and measure God's love based on all of those circumstantial deals, mm -hmm. but none of those are adequate to measure his love. They might be tiny little expressions along the way, just a little reminder that he loves us and he expresses it through those little droplets of blessings. But mm -hmm. the only real way to measure how much he loves us is by looking at the cross. Mm -hmm. That's the only mm -hmm. place we can really say... That's how much he loved me. And even then, we're only scratching the surface yeah. of how his love is. Bill, if somebody happened on this conversation and they hear you say that, the only way we can understand is by the cross. And they said, I don't get it. I don't understand it. How does that show that he loves me? Well, as we just read in Galatians 2.20, he loved me and gave himself up for me. I mean, Jesus himself said, greater love has no one than to lay down their life for their friend. Jesus is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters to the point that he was willing to lay down his life to rescue us and to provide us with forgiveness and to give us relationship with his father and to adopt us into his family. I mean, all of those things that are beyond imagining are there because he loves us. Hmm. And he proved it when he laid down his life for us. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, you were pointing us to the fact that there's some parallel ideas. So the, the first line and the last line are parallel. And we spent some time stumbling over what does it mean when Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. And I wonder if that's where not only God's amazing, overwhelming, not to be figured out type of love that he poured out on us at the cross through giving himself up for us, is then the invitation that we have to be examples of that love to others. And what it means to be crucified with Christ is to give ourselves up for one another mm -hmm. and to serve one another and to do what Jesus did where he took on the lowliest nature of the lowest servant by washing the disciples' feet. And what are the ways in which today that I can serve and love others around me in ways that are similar? And so it's this love that's so all-encompassing that it fills us and flows out of us into other people. The scriptures tell us we love because he first loved us. And the most perfect demonstration of that love was when he gave himself up for us on the cross. 
identity in Christ, this mystical, practical, abstract, amazing idea of living a new kind of life as we allow his crucified, risen life to be lived in us. We discover in him who we were created to be in the first place. And uh, earlier in another discussion, I read a quote from C.S. Lewis that I just thought was a wonderful expression of what we've been trying to express. And uh, maybe it'd be a good way to to wrap up our time. Elisa, would you read that for us one more time? C.S. Lewis wrote, The more we let God take us over, the more truly ourselves we become. Because He made us. He invented us. He invented all the different people that you and I were intended to be. It's when I turn to Christ, when I give up myself to His personality, that I first began to have a real personality of my own. That's a great quote, learning to find our identity in Christ. Well, you've been at the table for this Discover the Word podcast with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Daniel Ryan Day. Discover the Word is the small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible, discover the Word. I encourage you to explore other studies with the group on our discovertheword.org website. And our mission in all we do here at Discover the Word and Our Daily Bread Ministries is to make the life-changing story and wisdom of the Bible understandable and accessible to people all around the world. And so if you'd like to come alongside and partner with us in this ministry, we invite you to lend your financial support. Simply go online to discovertheword.org and click the Donate button. You'll see some options and you can give right there. Thanks for listening. I'm Brian Hedinga. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministries. 